This meeting is being recorded. Ciao, everyone. Welcome to the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast, where we cover the most effective marketing trends and strategies to grow your cannabis dispensary, delivery service, or brand. I'm your host, Guillermo Bravo, and today we'll be discussing how strong C-suite relationships trigger high-growth cannabis companies. We're joined by founder of BKLY and CMO of Pleasantries, Jim Anstey, and fractional CFO, Darren Garcia. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank Great. You. Thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit uh, about Jim. Jim transferred from the U.S. from London 20 years ago with Sachi and Sachi to set up an integrated marketing agency in New York. Uh, during his time at this agency, he worked for leading global, global brands in fashion, retail, beverages, CPG, and pharmaceuticals. So Jim's career started back in 2016 in the cannabis industry with the startup Olo. Uh, He's also started uh, his fractional CMO consultancy company called BKLY. Since then, he's worked with the leading brands and retailers in the cannabis industry in California, Michigan, and Massachusetts. And this includes Wonderbret, Kinslips, Kaneco, Medicare Farms, Mitten, and Cloud Cannabis. And he's currently the CMO for Pleasantries. Then Darren, Darren served as, as the CFO for three cannabis companies since 2018. Uh, Sozo Companies in Michigan, 315 in Michigan, and Eden Enterprises in California. During his tenures here, he also had dual responsibilities as an acting CEO and acting COO. So Darren spent nearly 20 years in financial markets as an, an investment analyst at institutions including Morgan Stanley, Guggenheim Partners, Citigroup, and UBS. Darren advised C-suite decision makers regarding capital raising, both debt and equity, including IPOs, and connected companies with capital through firm-leading corporate access efforts. Uh, so before I kick it off, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, MediaGel. MediaGel is the leading marketing platform helping cannabis brands reach consumers through their compliant ad network with real-time reporting and analytics dashboard uh, that covers, tracks the customer journey all the way up uh, to the conversion. All right. So uh, thank you everyone once again for joining and logging on today on Zoom and beyond on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Feel free to ask your questions here within Zoom or within the appropriate social media platforms because we're going to be covering a lot today. I'm really excited to uh, to have these Jim and Darren both on the uh, session today. So we'll just kick it off with you know with the first topic here, uh, Jim. You know what does a CMO want and need from the CFO? Fantastic. Look, well, thanks Guillermo. Thanks Mutagel. Thanks Darren for joining me. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, look, I've been lucky enough to work uh, with lots of different CFOs uh, and lots of different cannabis companies. Um, so it's great to, I think, first of all, the sort of vision of the company has to be clear. I always start off with a good insights phase into, you know, who is the company, what does the company want to be, and, you know, what is, uh, what's the background check on there? And so I think with the CFO just being part of and really giving good insight into, you know, what the financial status of the company is and how much capital they've raised or what they want to raise and really understanding first and foremost, kind of what, you know, where, where the company stands, um, the CEO's, CEO's vision, CFO's vision, that's key. Um, so I think, yeah, and then really kind of throughout, I suppose the second phase for me is the planning phase. So really being on board and having clear communication during the marketing planning phase and kind of buying into the marketing plan and the sort of the KPIs and what, you know, I suppose the marketing plan just lays out where you are now and where you want to be and the sort of, you know, the financial implications of, of what that's going to be and the time implications and different tactics and levers you're going to pull and sort of, you know, how you essentially, how you're going to get it from A to B. So being on board with that plan and having input onto the plan and buying into the plan uh, is, is sort of key. And then, yeah, and then in terms of the KPIs, I think just a regular check-in 
uh, you know, it could be every week. Um, I know talking to Darren, he's got some some great things he does every week uh, in terms of his reporting there, but really tying in on the reporting and tying on the KPIs and understanding, you know, businesses aren't always as linear as you hope. So you have to sometimes kind of, uh, you get faced with challenges and the sort of dodge and weave that happens within businesses, you know, when a new competitor starts up just next door to you or something similar. I think, again, having that good communication, open communication is essential. So those are some of the things that I think, you know, that a really good CFO makes or helps you with. Wonderful. And then Darren, what do you, you know, what does the CFO want and need from a CMO? Well, I've, I've worked at a few different types of companies. I've worked at ones that were vertically integrated. I've worked at ones that were retail only. Um, there's a little bit of a different cocktail for each, depending on, on what you're doing. Um, I, I think the first really comes down to communication on a constant stream. Um, generally, when you know Jim was asking about budgeting and planning and kind of knowing the parameters by which you know he, he can maneuver and understanding you know the capital that's available, all those things that I know a CMO would want to know. And I think that that conversation for me has always been a little bit dynamic. Um, just to use an absurd example, if I say you have a trillion dollar budget, a marketing person will spend all trillion dollars, right? And, and I know that that's, and, and we know at some marginal point you have diminishing returns on that. So I, I'm generally a person that likes to look at things kind of case by case, try to figure out what the return structures, return, what the returns on that'll be. And that really comes down to partnering with the CMO to understand what the tracking metrics are kind of more commonly known as the KPIs are in doing that. And really getting on a cadence, like usually I like to have weekly reporting um, you know, through a series of charts and just across the whole business, but kind of looking and saying, okay, we're doing this. How is this tracking? What's tracking? Well, what's not tracking? Well, how do we kind of course correct in small ways to do that? But to do that, you really have to have a good rapport and an open communication and dialogue with the people you're working with, especially the CMO. So that's the key thing. And from, you know, both your experience, where's the disconnect between the two usually lie? Jim, go ahead. Um, good, good question. I think you know. I think the thing about uh, about the cannabis world is different from the non-cannabis world. It's just the pressure in terms of 280e and the tax structure, and as you're raising money, it's so tough within the cannabis industry that that uh, you know that things can happen uh, that can be out of control. And so it's. I think quite often the first thing that gets cut is you know the marketing budget. Um, and that's understandable. If you put a lot of investment into a big cultivation facility, you can't suddenly turn that offline. I mean, you put the money in there. So I think it's just, uh, you know, I, I think being aware of the financial situation, cash flow, how things change, how how the the macro environment of the company. I think that's quite often really understanding that and being in kind of in line with that. I think is important. Um, you know, I think to uh, just. Yeah, so I think as again the sort of you know the uh, uh, these sort of dodge and weaves that that you have to do, I think just really being the good good clear communication on that, um, I think is important. And uh, you know, I think just sort of you know uh, again, I think at a certain level in the company, you have to trust the experience of you know of the C suite because that's what you're buying into by working with them. Um, and so you know, so you know, just just really the constant communication and. And understanding, you know, when, when things have to, when when the rules have to be bent a bit or the plan has to change a little bit, really kind of, you know, understanding that and adapting as quickly as you possibly can. Because the cannabis industry, I think, is by far the most challenging environment. That, that's why I enjoy it. Because suddenly, suddenly you're thrown something, and you have to, uh, you know, to have to sort of uh, to understand that and work with it. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that I think uh, are important, or that, that I found anyway. Yeah, I, I, I think Jim really nailed it. And I would frame it under one word. There has to be a mutual understanding for the constraints. Um, I think there are a lot of cannabis businesses out there that are in that have some constraints. And, yeah. you, and being in the CFO seat, typically you're trying to manage those constraints without disturbing the herd. Because if certain people know certain things that you do, they'd probably be very concerned. Um, you know, and you have to, and with that, like, if you have a good, good relationship with your CMO, you can have that conversation in an honest way where you can relay the information you need, probably keep some of the things that you need to, to know to yourself. But like, you know, at the end of the day, the CMO is trying to, if you're, if you have products, let's say, and you have a wholesale business and you're trying to build a brand, there's any number of things the CMO may want to do, which are completely the right thing to do to build a brand. But, you know, 
basically processing near-term profitability goals versus longer-term brand building goals becomes kind of the key toggle. And if you can't align on that, it's really difficult. You know, I, I make my best attempt to have a sense of humor about this sometimes, uh, you know, in different experiences I've been in. There is, there was one where, you know, I kind of refer to the, the marketing budget as the air supply marketing budget because you're making love and nothing at all. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of looked at it where, you know, you can have that dialogue and if you can have a sense of humor and you can kind of have an open discussion, which frankly is the most important thing with any management team. If you can't be open and honest about really what's going on and live, and live in the realities of where you are, um, you know, you, you're not going to be successful. And I think that that's especially true when you're sitting there and thinking about marketing versus versus other needs. And frankly, you know, the, the, the counter usually where CFOs make mistakes is by cutting marketing budgets, you may actually be cutting your revenue streams and actually putting yourself yeah. further in the hole. So you have to you have to kind of understand where that where that tipping point is if you're in a tight situation. And and that's you know that's something that you know requires a little finesse. And frankly, you're usually not 100% right on every single time. Yeah, and you know one message I've been hearing in this uh, in this conversation so far is communication, right? Communication is key between the two departments uh, and making sure that you're aligned and having that open line of communication so you can, you know, radical candor, right? It's like you, you know, you, at, in the end, you're a team, right? We have the same goals. We're, we're, we're going to the same destination and cannabis, you yeah. cannabis uh, will, will give you a, an abundance of challenges, <laughs> you know, with the within the industry. And Jim, you highlighted some of them. 280E being top of the list uh, in funding too, right? So those two items kind of go hand in hand, and it's just finding the right balance uh, and just being able to yeah communicate effectively and then pivot fast. All right, so it's just making sure that you're aligned and communication is key. <clears throat> And yeah, I think to sort of, um, yeah, sorry to jump in, but uh, I know Dan was talking about sort of the, the air supply marketing budget. Um, so I think too in marketing, you, you have to be able to, to, to hustle and sort of make the most of what you have a little bit and understand that, you know, even the best made plan um, and the way you may do it um, you know, outside of cannabis have to be a bit, bit more flexible because realistically, uh, you know, you're not gonna have the budgets that you have outside of cannabis. Um, and you know the marketing team that you kind of expect outside of cannabis, you're not going to have that in marketing just because the priority I think for a lot of cannabis companies is producing a product reliably, consistently on time, um, and you know quite often you know making sure they have cash flow to to, to pay wages and and keep keep the ship afloat. Um, so marketing again, I think the good companies out there have those some of those things done down. And they've raised enough money and so marketing then can help separate your company from others um but quite often realistically uh that is some of the core challenges you're facing so in marketing you have to be you know very flexible as you said Guillermo, that communication is is key um and then to yeah to to work uh and to to, to, to enjoy the, the air supply or the lack of the lack of air supply yeah yeah and, and it comes down to for me you know you're trying to figure out when you're when you're in constraint, where do you spend money that has the most leverage? So you know, is that you know, when you think about it in marketing terms, when, and especially things you can measure, is that programmatic advertising? Is that billboards? Is that you know, weed maps listings? Is that any number of different things? And if you don't have a really tight relationship where you can kind of track where you're getting the best yield out of things, and and you can kind of mutually have a conversation around data to make that happen, and hopefully. There's not a lot of other people in the room, which kind of crowd it with noise. The, the most difficult thing is when you maybe have other stakeholders in the business that want to jump in that maybe don't have the expertise, because then there's, you know, what can happen there is you just get in a sense of there's an ideation cycle that never ends and never winds up in execution. And then there, and there's also just something where it just makes it really difficult to come down to, to actually executing anything because you could spend all day chasing ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's other things that come in from the outside of just the CMO and the CFO, which you really have to deal with, or it really can derail the, even the, the relationship and the dynamic just between those two people. Yeah. And how do you work together, you know, as a CMO and CFO, you know, to help manage the CEO's expectations? Um, 
Darren, that's a great question. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll tag team. I'll go first this time. So, yeah, so basically, uh, the way you have to think about it is usually if you're the CFO, you have a pretty daily conversation about what's going on with the financial status of the business. Um, you know, any good, usually most CFOs have some kind of like a weekly cash flow model to really kind of know what, especially if you're losing money and you're not break even, you're required to do that. So I think when you're having that type of dialogue, I think you have a pretty linear sense of what, where things are. And with that, you can probably manage the expectations of what kind of marketing spend you may or may not be able to have, how to think about that. And if, you know, if they're included in that decision-making process, that's, you know, that's something that they have to be acutely aware of. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, if, if your CEO doesn't understand the financial status of the company or doesn't understand the forecasting or doesn't understand kind of the, the, you know, the variance that can happen around some of those things, it's challenging. So it's, it's really about edge. Like, frankly, I like any C-suite title, C-suite title doesn't mean you're always the doer on everything. It just means you're educating everybody about everything and trying to teach people and train people down and up. And so it, it, it's just another part of that, just going in a different direction. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think, uh, look, I think with the CEO, um, you know, my experience is I think obviously getting the CEOs uh, kind of to buy into the plan and, you know, getting as much insight, insight as I said, which is the first phase and buying into the plan and really kind of, you know, and then I think uh, just really updating on a regular basis as, as much as possible into how that plan's coming along. And I think as Darren said, it's really coordinating the resource of the company to make sure that, you know, that if, if, one item of the plan is is essential and needs to be executed that all i suppose all the you know the company's pointing all, all, all in the same direction um you know if marketing is going against another department or you know so i think the ceo's role is to really make sure that everything is aligned um and the marketing plan has to align with that anyway so i think it's just making sure that my mind is always updating the ceo in terms of progress that's being made and this will maintain the vision for what you want to work from A to B, where you want to be uh, and making sure that, you know, he, he or she can help to coordinate all, all the different, uh, you know, resources within the company to make sure that, you know, even though your marketing budget may be small, the, the sum of all the parts, yeah, that, that can be very mighty. So really making sure that everything's aligned within the company is key. And the most difficult part about it is, is you have to make sure the CEO and or the board um, depending on how the company's set up, has an alignment on strategy, vision, and like where everybody's supposed to be pointing to and going and where the prioritization is, maybe between business units and all the rest. Because if you don't have that basic starting block, it's really tough for either the CMO or the CFO to do what they're supposed to do. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm, I'm helping allocate resources amongst many things in the company. Uh, you know, a CMO is allocating resources and people and capital and the marketing end of things. And if you really don't know the where the compass is pointed, it's really, really difficult to do that. Exactly, exactly. And on the marketing side, Jim, you know, what metrics or KPIs should the marketing budget be based on? You know, like what are the most important KPIs and then how do you get everyone on the same page, you know, looking at that data the same way? Yeah, that's key. Is uh, I think the last part is absolutely key. Make sure that all the data and all the metrics you have is everyone has has the same data. Um, but no, I think I, I you know I work for different uh, types of ca cannabis companies. Um, you know, I think the vertically integrated ones, you know, have both retail and wholesale businesses. Uh, and really, each of those different businesses on the retail side can be broken into you know some of the KPIs on retail are different than on wholesale. So. You know, for example, in retail, uh, marketing is sort of judged quite often in terms of, you know, what is, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of your, the, the acquiring new customers, what are the number of new customers that you've acquired? Um, and, you know, what is the cost of acquiring that, that, that particular customer? And it may differ from, you know, programmatic to, you know, weed maps cost to, uh, you know, to within maybe social media influencers or so tracking trying to track those costs and associate the costs and compare those costs. And you, know, you may find, for example, that one, one particular channel, you know, is more expensive to acquire that customer. But if that customer has a bigger basket size over time, then that can be measured and you can kind of model that out as well. So it's really looking at, you know, I think some of the key things on retail is, yeah, customer acquisition numbers, retention, what is percentage of new customers versus existing customers, what are they spending in terms of basket size? Um, you know, was it cost to acquire that customer? Was it cost to get them to visit again? 
So those are some of the kind of the retail, uh, the retail KPIs that I look at. On wholesale, you know, it's slightly different because quite often if you are a cultivator and a processor, you have a certain number of brands and products that you need to sell in the marketplace. Um, so you look at, you know, what are the sales? What's the sell through? What's the repeat order rate? Things like that. Uh, quite often you have a certain amount of product that you want to sell in the marketplace. So it's looking at price too. Obviously, uh, if you are making one product, um, uh, which could be, let's say, you know, flour, prepackaged flour, but you're not selling that, but you're selling, you know, kind of a, a more processed, like a pre-roll or infused pre-roll for a higher price, then you know, switching some of that out and looking at the price you, you get, you know, per unit. And is it more efficient to, you know, switch that, you know, that flour into pre-roll? So, you know, the things you can look at that I think Marketing Insight can help uh, on the processing side too. Yeah, and look, having worn a couple of C hats at the same time, like there's a few wrinkles I'd add to this. It's like, first on the retail side, you know, when I was at Eden, we grew at a 40% CAGR on the retail side. When I was at 315, we doubled sales in a year and went from negative operating margins to positive operating margins before the exit. And there's on the, with that, the focus on making sure you're accessing and, and addressing all the channels. What does that mean? So if you think about like multi-channel where, if you can focus on having the right menu and the right kind of centralized things that many, many sales channels can drive off of. So, you know, you're all, everybody starts off with a retail where they have walk-in traffic. How do you get the pre-order going? How do you get the delivery going? You know, I've started with, you know, both companies with pretty much all walk-in and having some mix where like 50, 60% of the businesses that were successful ended up having pre-order and delivery being a huge part of it. And so you're not only addressing maybe having the right inventory and everything else, but like there's a convenience customer. There's somebody that wants to be served that way or this way. And they're very different market segments. And especially when you think about say being in Michigan where the weather can be terrible for a portion of the year, like some of these things become bigger moving parts. Yeah. Um, when you think about wholesale, which I've been involved with and I'll, I'll be indescript on, you know, you know, it's one of those things where when you think about that business, you really have to say like, are you are you ask are you trying to reach an achievable goal? What's your starting point in terms of what brand you've established? Like Eden was great. Like Eden was one of the you know they didn't report to BDSA, but were probably one of the top vape brands in Northern California, and they were one of the original players on it. That dispensary that was the core of their business had been around since 2003, and so you had a legacy following of something. You know you walk into a different business that's maybe newer and maybe hasn't spent the time on the market and brand creation. You start from a different launching point. And then, you know, as you sit there and thinking about doing that, there's different parts to doing that and having, making sure you have marketing for one is, is the key. But if you start thinking about expanding into concentrates and other, other types of product lines, you know, are you setting reasonable goals? Like, are you thinking you're all of a sudden going to like launch and have 30% market share? Like, and I'm just making numbers up, but like, are you actually aligned with what, what, you know, is your production and everything aligned? Cause there's one thing to say you want to do something and have the idea that it's great to, you know, Jim had mentioned kind of going from flour to brutals, you know, that's actually a fairly seamless, seamless switch, but there's a lot of investment, people planning, execute all kinds of operational execution that has to go on. Even if like, so even if you wanted to recreate a new brand, just getting the packaging, like there are so many things and a time lag to be able to do that, that you have to really kind of be thoughtful about how you go about it and be, be and understand the moving parts that get you there too. Mm. That's a very good point. Yeah, because quite often it's like, yeah, let's do something. Let's do something different. But you're right. The packaging alone, um, especially if you miss kind of Chinese New Year, that can can take even longer if you're if you're sourcing from overseas. Um, but but, you know, I think, too, on this, you know, because also, you know, just looking uh, coming from the non cannabis world or the pre cannabis world into the cannabis world, you know, you look at in e-commerce, uh, you know, in lifestyle fashion goods, for example, you look at kind of lifetime, the lifetime customer value, um, you know, within cannabis. Uh, of course, you can get that data and you can look at it. But given the fact that it's more difficult to, you know, the, the margins probably aren't quite what they are in, in you know, with, with 280. Uh, so, you know, the margins aren't quite there. Also to, you know, um, yeah, the, the cost of raising capital is so much higher in cannabis too. So that lifetime customer value, it's really just like, do you have the cash flow? Um, and how can you acquire the, those customers really, you um, and of course, you look at the lifetime value, but I think some of the metrics 
that you look at in, in the non-cannabis world for lifetime value are probably slightly skewed within the cannabis value. So within the cannabis world, if, if that makes sense. Um, so again, I think, you know, you have to just really understanding the cannabis business and some of the, some of the challenges that you face uh, can, you know, you can look at those, uh, the more traditional marketing metrics and you need to sort of, you know, put them under the microscope a little bit too. Yeah, and, and, and the time part of lifetime, so what is the duration of holding that customer is, is kind of an interesting and difficult thing to measure. I think Jim would probably agree with me. I mean, I think if you have loyalty going and you could usually, like at retail, especially if you have loyalty going, you get a measure of how much business the loyalty is driving. And so I guess there you have some, some element of what your stickiness is and what your recurring customer purchases are. You can figure out their number of visits. Like there's a way to start tracking some of these things. Um, I think, I just think it's, you know, usually the wholesale is a little more B2B. I guess maybe that's a smaller base of people. So you can track what your stickiness there in terms of recurring orders. But, you know, on the retail side, that's, that's something, again, you have to have some of these metrics on your dashboard because as you try to experiment with things, you have to see what's starting to move the needle and not move the needle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then on the, on the CFO side, Darren, you know, what, K what KPIs re represent success for you? Like re revenue up, profitability up, always good things. <laughs> <Doesn't> have, <laughs> Pretty like, straightforward. Yeah. Like, if, like we, we could, we can analyze clicks, a whole bunch of different things. Like if you, if you're not trending in the right direction on those type of things, um, that's key. The, the one thing where I'm probably different from some others, maybe I'm not, is as opposed to measuring things on revenue returns, I like to measure things on gross margin return because at the end of the day, gross margins, when I'm paying for whatever the, whether it's weed maps or fill in the blank on anything you're going to use, like I'm paying it at a gross margin dollars. I'm not paying it at a revenue. And so when I think about what my multiple of return needs to be, to be able to justify that, like that's probably the most key kind of metric by which I weigh all, anything, anything we're trying to do in marketing, but you know, Look, there's also brand uh, brand elements and brand building stats, which are maybe probably more difficult to quantify, which you also have to respect. Because, you know, frankly, if your revenue is going up, it's probably a function that you're actually building either your retail brand or your wholesale brand. Um, and it's maybe a little bit more difficult to figure out how exactly to track some of those things. But that's where I think you have to make sure you're not super rigid. That's actually really important. That's a good point, um, you know, to jump onto that. I mean, I think that too, that brand value is something, you know, I, I say to, to a lot of my clients that I think that you know, the, the companies that will win uh, at the end of the day will have brands and you know, or a really strong brand. Um, and that's something which is very difficult to, you know, to, to attach a value to, um, you know, because you do see valuations of Coca-Cola and what that brand is worth. And uh, I, I actually, I think, um, um, yeah, so you have, there are brand studies out there, what a brand is worth, but in the cannabis industry, that doesn't exist yet. Um, so I think, but just, you know, at the end of the day, building brand value is something which is more difficult to, to, to associate value with and to, you know, to allocate marketing dollars to. But Don, I think, as you said, a successful company or successful revenue, you'll see that, that building that brand over time, you'll, you'll see that benefit with that. Um, I think too, the other thing too is that you know I think again I I, I like to work for, for for the smaller companies and not not I don't work for MSOs but um, but I think you know part of that I think too is the thing that I enjoy with the marketing is that you know you do have challenging budgets but it's like how do you really take a challenging budget and really make a big big splash with it um, so I think the sort of the the sort of creativity behind the brand uh, that that is what's important to me and I think you know again having a, a CFO that that uh, you know kind of understands that that's the dynamic and that you know to get from A to B you need to to put a little bit of risk in there and to take a few chances and to measure them ideally and to come out from you know from that experience with what you've learned and you know what what you and then as a result of that what the path forward should be uh, but I think again taking a little bit of risk in marketing and and throwing a little bit of uh, you know and, and hoping that, that, that the luck is there for you to some extent is really important. And you can take small, you can take from a money standpoint, however, money resources fill in the blank, you can take smaller risks, you know, stop doing what doesn't work and double down on what does work. Um, and frankly, the market's fairly dynamic, just in terms of every state developing in its own way. And what may have worked six months ago, maybe doesn't work the same way six months later. So you have to, you have to be nimble, because frankly, we're all kind of flying the plane as it's being built. True.
<laughs> very, very true. Yeah. And then, I mean, the big news, you know, recently, at least on the CPG side is liquid death, right? So, you know, liquid death on the, the brand equity front, you know, they got a $700 million valuation for a water company. Mm -hmm. You know, it really just proves that brands do matter. And I know on the CFO side, we, you know, we have to, we have to keep, you know, fastest way to profitability and, and maximize growth margin. Um, then on the marketing side, there's this other factor of the brand equity is valuation. I think the only company in cannabis that is really uh, at that level is cookies, right? There's no, there's not really any other companies that are at that. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think within the, you know, I, I think that's exactly true. And, and uh, to me, I always say too, I think, you know, part of things, but I've always liked to work with brands that, you know, that uh, when you say to people that you work on that brand, you know, they they really make a connection with it. So making that emotional connection to me, that's a brand. Um, yeah. And I think that's always what, what you know, what, what we're, in the marketing world, that's sort of the holy grail um, is to, to, to get to that place. I think Liquid Death is, has got the, you know, just from the name to some extent, but also, you know, they understand the water crisis around the world and they're kind of very much tied in with that. And so that's got people's hearts. Um, and so, yeah, within the sort of, you know, the, 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 I think actually kind of the cookies team have done an amazing job and, you know, we're, we're kind of buying into to, to sort of the burner personality and and who he is and what that's about. Um, you know, there are, there have been other brand, uh, cannabis brands around actually MedMen really was one of the first that became that. Um, yeah, I think there are other brands out there. I think cannabis brands and cookies isn't this, but they tend to, the big success ones and tend something happens and they flame out and burn up, but it's just the early process within Within the cannabis uh, kind of industry, and as Darren, as you said, we're building the. I, mean, I think we're like the aeroplane. We're building the plane, or for, to, to be, be like a train. We're sort of we're building the train tracks and uh, the locomotive engines and the customers and the passengers, and so it's all happening at the same time. So I think there'd be you know not the cookies won't won't be that brand, but the exciting thing to me is that you know you can become there's white space out there at the moment, and yeah. to build a brand that can fill that space and get get that emotional connection is, is that's what I'm interested in. And there, there seems to be steps to it too, where you start with, it may just be recognition of what the product is. Like you take a pleasantries where they have good enough, which is, you know, more of a, more of a value. And Jim, you correct me if I'm wrong here. And then right. you have King Clout, which is their upper end. And once you kind of understand that you can kind of then go into a pleasantries or be a purchaser of pleasantries product. If you own dispensaries and you kind of understand where that is. Now, if, you know, when you look at that and say, okay, fine, if there's consistency behind that product within that tiering or with that understanding of kind of where it places, like that's how uh, like repetition and, and time then develop the brand around that identity. Like cookies is just further out ahead because they've always had pretty good genetics. They've always had good, good execution and they always have control over the growers making sure the quality is high. And so in the process of doing that, like they've now done that, done it for years, have the repetition and so they're, therefore they are what they are. But I think everybody's trying to move down that path. You know, even in Eden, which curated its purchase was always won flat, best flower curation in the East Bay. And they actually in-house their own shelves and their own brands. And when you walked in, you knew if you bought this thing or that thing or this thing under the different names that they created, you knew where you were buying on the shelves, but you knew the genetics overall were good and your value for what you were paying uh, and quality there was always going to be good. So these are the type of building blocks that you have to establish. And sometimes that doesn't take a ton of money. It just means you just have to get really good at making sure your messaging is right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so true. I think a lot of people uh, in the cannabis industry are very kind of connected with it. I understand a lot about, you know, the growing of the different strains. And, you know, really from a consumer perspective, uh, it's green stuff that, you know, that they don't, I mean, I think we quite often those in the industry think that people have a higher understanding and knowledge within cannabis than they really do. And realistically, it's make it simple for people. It's a very confusing yeah. category. If you haven't been into a store and they have, you know, different formats, is it vape, is it, you know, uh, you know, flour, pre-rolls, you know, edibles all have different times and onsets. And, you know, so it's quite a complicated thing for people who are not in the industry and don't understand it. Um, and so I think, Darren, to your point, helping people understand, you know, what is, and also, too, nowadays it's based upon price and the THC content. So, you know, quite breaking it down and pleasantries, it's sort of, you know, the pleasantries brand 
uh, is the flagship brand and that's, you know, the, uh, the premium brand. And then there's the good enough, the value brand, there's the eighth by what by Rick, which is the social equity brand. And there's actually Clout King, which you mentioned, which is a uh, you know, licensed brand, but again, genetics from California. Uh, so all, all, everything has its sort of role within the portfolio. Um, and uh, I think just helping people understand and really so often it's the bud tenders too, helping them understand what the different products are and, you know, who they're targeted to and what the effects are. That's just the basics at this stage to help people understand what you know what, what cannabis is and how you consume it because it's quite yeah. confusing uh if you're not in the industry yeah and i always uh, try to remind myself you know i've i've been in the industry for eight years now so you know, it's you have to dumb it down you need to put it in layman's terms and thc is obviously uh thc and prices they're huge factors and then also the outcome that people are looking for right that's yeah. a big part and you know i know that uh at pleasantries you, you've taken a different route on that and you know you have branded rounded branded outcomes and you have different color schemes to signify you know how this uh this product is going to uh, you know, what, what kind of benefits or what kind of outcome or you know the effects of of the flower or any of the other products so i, I really uh, really like what you've done there jim Thanks. Thank uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. That was actually the uh, the pleasantry is slightly different. That's more of a sort of portfolio, but that that was actually cloud cannabis that I worked on with oh, you. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yes, cloud cannabis, <laughs> um, uh, which again is another fascinating. But I think the vision coming back to you know the first thing is the vision of the company. They they you know really saw a gap in terms of you know the suburban uh, the sort of metro Detroit area, and uh, you know again those customers you know again weren't that familiar with cannabis and probably hadn't been to dispensary it was kind of relatively early michigan this was a few years yeah. ago now but so yeah so we looked at as the effects and you know from sleep through to sort of ecstasy and excitement uh enjoyment of fun you know what are the different stages and to color code those so you walked into a cloud cannabis store and you'd understand if you want to sleep it was blue and if you wanted fun and kind of going out with friends it was uh it was kind of, kind of bright orange or, or red and all the colors between it. So people can understand, you know, again, for people that probably weren't as familiar as we are with cannabis, uh, you know, how, uh, how, you know, what experience they wanted and how to understand it within that, all the different kind of uh, uh, the categories from edibles through to flower, you know, was, was broken down within that. Uh, so that was a different approach. But again, I think that came from the vision of the, of this, this, uh, the executive team and who, where they saw the opportunities in the marketplace uh, with, within that market. So, so yeah, um, but that was interesting and interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to circle back to the to the gross revenue uh, topic, Darren. You know, with with the you know, what would you say like su the suggested percentage of gross revenue that should be put towards a marketing budget? Well, think of it. If I think about it, it all depends what margins you're probably running as well. Uh -huh. You know. I've you know, I, I've I've worked in businesses that can print north of forty percent gross margin. Um, if you're doing that, like I think, given the fact that most retail can probably run in the mid-teens on labor, right? So if you're thinking about it just on the retail side, um, and then you got rent, so you know you're if you're really working towards break-even, it tells you how much you really have to work with. So if you're 45 percent gross margin, can you be up to maybe five, possibly ten percent? Um, you know, cause you're dealing with 280. So all of a sudden you take 40 and you take 20% away from that. So you're back down to like 30, 32, right. Once you get into getting taxed at the gross margin level. So you have 32% to play with before you get to break even. Right. So if half of that, all of us, it depends what rent and what your labor is, plus maybe whatever the miscellaneous, the software, like if you have to have a your PRS system, all the rest. But like, I think when you end up doing all that math, you end up in like the zero to 5% range, depending okay. on what you're doing. It just, it just, it just math, the math kind of breaking it, working it down. Mm -hmm. So, and I think most people right now are probably trying to get to that break even level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the, on the brand side, like let's talk flour just because it's easier and people usually know the price per pound where they, where they live, right? You know, your, your cost per pound to produce and I'm talking all in, including your fixed cost of your facility and everything else. Cause a lot of people kind of quote it as only the variable I'm going to bet is anywhere from six to 800, depending on who you're talking to. Right. There are people that'll tell you they do 450. Like maybe, maybe there is somebody that's doing that, but if you actually count the facility and everything else, like 
which most of those are finance with debt. You have to think about that differently. But if you're doing that now, if you're selling, if you're able to sell at 11, 12, $1,300, like you have some budget because you can sit there and support your brand, whether that's, you know, you know, vendor days, any number of different things that you can do to try to support your brand. And I'll let, I'll let Jim speak to what those should be. But, you know, if you're, if you haven't really established your brand kind of in the first couple of years, usually in a market where the pricing was really good and you actually had the margins to support that and say you're selling it seven, 800 and you're producing for six, 700, like your, your ability to market that and stay in a break even lane gets very different. So like, I'm not giving you a straight answer because it really kind of depends on where you're toggling. But I guess the key part of what you need to do well for people that are in markets that are about to open up is if you manage your budgets well and you actually do the right things to build a brand out of the gate when you have that first couple year window where the pricing is usually pretty good, um, that's key because you're basically just trying to maintain that base because it seems like all these markets go through like after two or three years, go through some sort of an oversupply scenario where prices compress. And then it really comes down to like, where you will, where like when prices compress, brands become important because brands all of a sudden let you charge the premium. And so if you haven't built that, trying to come back the other way and build that in an environment where it's tougher to stay break even, like that's where you end up having your issues. And I think there's probably a lot of companies trying to confront that, that balance and, and trying to figure out how to, to, to strike that equation. You know, I, I don't know how Jim feels about kind of those metrics, but that's, that those are the those are the ways I'm thinking about it as I approach looking at a business. Darren, that's I mean you're you're much better than me on on breaking that down in terms of percentage for stores and labor and you know so that's obviously uh, much. But I, I I think what's really interesting is you're 100 right that a lot of people I was just talking to somebody in 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 actually uh, um, uh, who's an operator was going to be an operator um, in in uh, 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 so I can't say it for a minute but. Um, in actually new new jersey um and yeah just helping them understand i think that to your point that the first couple of years in the new marketplace so the margins are, are high and the pricing is is high the supply of uh, the supply and the demand and there's more demand than supply so 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 the the pricing can be relatively high and then after really a couple of years as you said the cycle comes in and uh, the supply is there. The demand really hasn't, you know, kind of increased as much as the supply. So, so prices fall quite dramatically. And I think then, then, then you have to then sort of brands. Uh, you know, if you built a brand in that time, then you can charge that premium amount. I think un- helping people understand that is key. Um, so coming down to in terms of you know how you, uh, you know, what, all- what allocation you make towards uh, a marketing. And I think between, I think as you said, down between zero and five percent. Hopefully, it's not zero because it's not much fun for marketing. Um, but really in that range uh, is sort of, you know, really, I suppose, yeah, within in the cannabis realm, that's the range that I'm used to kind of working within. Not not zero, but up to 5%, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but outside of cannabis, I think, you know, it, like any like any company, and again, to begin with, you're launching a brand, you need to spend to get that brand out there. Um, but really aligning on what the marketing plan is, um, who that customer is, there's no point in a... Uh, there's no point, you know, kind of creating a marketing plan without having a specific customer in mind. Um, and quite often, you know, within the cannabis industry, like, well, everyone is is my customer. Well, that's you. Pr- if that's your approach, you're probably not going to build the right brand. Um, so, really understanding who your customer is, what is that customer insight, what's the need that you're fulfilling for that customer, um, and coming back to spending, really just aligning everything around that particular focus. I think that's key to be successful. Um, but yeah, I think you know really doing the work behind the scenes in terms of what that brand is, uh, you know, what that means, what that value proposition is, is key. Uh, so that when you do hit the ground and when you spend behind it, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good thinking behind it. I think that that's really important too. Um, yeah. Darren, I know we talked earlier about, you know, quite often uh, sometimes it's just the name and then it's getting the, the name out there. That's sometimes uh, people's approach, but I, I, um, I do think to some extent, uh, you know, you really have to put the groundwork in behind behind the brand, but to some extent you have to get it out there too. And, you know, then you'll determine where it fits in the marketplace, uh, you know, um, and and then you know, within the cannabis industry, you have to be very adaptable um, uh, to, to make sure that it works effectively. Yeah. And, and think of it as especially when you're a retailer, it works in a few different ways, is that 
if you're buying branded package product, like the premium you're paying for that, because they've branded it and put their name on it, it better move off your shelves. If that's not happening, like you have to start thinking about creating your own internal branding tiers and starting the wholesale purchase because you're basically embedded in that, you know, purchase packaged product is the is some element of marketing that you're expecting to have paid for from the vendor that you're buying from. And if that's not actually materializing in velocity in terms of your sales, you have to think about that and what that means and maybe what your strategy needs to be maybe to buy things cheaper, but maybe you're going to figure out how to spend the marketing dollars because maybe they're not as effective. Right. So that works. The the thought process behind that works in terms of who's selling to you and making sure they're doing a good job, but also you as a buyer on the other side. Um, And then frankly, just, you know, the operational efficiencies that you can create that increases that margin moves that number that Jim is talking about way closer to that 5% number and possibly beyond. And so there's, there's a lot of moving parts. And if, you're just not running the business well and efficiently. Um, it just, it could, you know, you're, you're, you're handicapping your ability to do things that are probably very good for your business. True. That's a good point. I think on the retail side, you know, given the fact that, yeah, you have a lot of people and the more mature the market, you have a line of people at the door trying to get their product uh, into your dispensary. Um, so really kind of working with them. And I, nowadays the wholesale marketing is getting you know much more advanced. You have to go to the retailer with a media plan of support. You have to go to them with, you know, bartender training all wrapped up and all the different, you know, obviously website completely, all the sales material and what, what you're doing to support them. So you're looking for uh, the, some of the products to help you fund your marketing. So you may have a, a 5% budget, uh, um, but you also may be able to get, you know, another few percentage points from, some of the suppliers to help really kind of support and you know, drive customers in and get that retention piece uh, as well. So yeah, so leaning, I think retail nowadays leaning on, uh, you know, leaning sounds bad, but really kind of working with, uh, you know, uh, doing a sort of, uh, uh, you know, approaching the marketing in, in a very cooperative way with some of the products that you're selling is so important too. Yeah, and look, there's, I know in, in California, I saw it, I think it's starting to happen in Michigan to some degree too people basically selling their shelf space to different brands. Um, Now, while that is something that would, could be deemed profitable right out of the gate, given what you're doing, you know, if you're selling it to something that doesn't move, like retail is about two things. How quickly, how, how many times can you turn inventory dollars in a period and what margin are you doing at? You could have a gazillion percent margins, but if it's not turning, it doesn't, it's, it's not showing up on a dollar basis. Um, cause you know, so you have to be kind of careful, like with the dance you make with selling, selling shelf space, because it, 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 at the end of the day, velocity is a super important part of the equation. And so, you know, you may sell shelf space, but it ends up kind of biting you when you think about the math. That's so important. True. Yeah. Making sure that when you go to that store, there are products there that you want to buy, um, and sort of having the best products is, is key too. Definitely. Yeah, and circling back to the brand value, I know it's, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, liquid death and, you know, how crucial, you know, part of the marketing strategy, the brand value is, uh, but the results, you know, it can be hard to quantify, right? So like Darren, on the, on the financial metric side, like how do you measure or analyze brand stickiness? If you're managing your image, from, I'll answer it from, two, from the wholesale side and from the retail side. Retail side okay. first. Like if you're, if you're running your retail inventory correctly, you're looking at the velocity um, of what brands are selling at what rate constantly, because you always want to be testing a new brand and swapping out um, the, the low performers with the high performers and using those metrics as a way to talk to your vendors about getting more support. Because if they want to be on your shelves, especially depending on how many stores you have and how much scale you have and kind of buying power within that, you should be able to leverage the fact that you've got great tracking of what the velocity is and you can be basically holding your vendors accountable to that. Um, on the other side, you know, there's hoodie analytics, pistol data, all these other different things on the wholesale side. Um, and you can tell where you're being priced versus not, you can tell when you're stocking out, but frankly, you can usually just tell what your reorders are. And your if your salespeople are switched on, they're giving you feedback to what's happening. And so 
you you have to look at like you know are you constantly churning customers on the wholesale side you're just are you constantly selling the new dispensaries or have you really set up relationships and supportive relationships and kind of symbiotic relationships with the retailers you're selling to to make sure that product's turning you're giving them support and you know if you can get yourself on a recurring order basis both as a retailer because the supply chain works out better and frankly very much so again on the, as, a, as a wholesale operator and you have those dynamics working and you're partnered with marketing to make sure that those wheels are turning the right way, you're probably going to have a successful business. Agreed. Agreed. Um, he's really, you know, really thinking about all the, the retailers that are going to in survival mode right now and brands, you know, it's, it's, it's not new news. Uh, right. So most, most businesses pull their marketing budgets, uh, and businesses are struggling right now. They're trying to get over the hump and continue to grow their business. How can you make an impact in marketing and acquiring new customers with less and less marketing dollars available? Well, I think um, that that is a challenge that that uh, a lot of people are facing now. Um, and you, I, and as Darren said earlier, sometimes just by cutting that budget, you get even further into a hole because you're not yeah. getting new customers in. You're not getting retention. Uh, so again, I think I wouldn't, again, I understand people cut marketing budgets and that has happened. Um, you know, how to get around that. I think obviously it's focusing on understanding what you're spending and where you're spending it and what you're getting the bang for your buck at. Um, and, you know, I don't believe necessarily as, you know, there, there have been some famous quotes about marketing that, you know, that, uh, you know, not exactly sure where, you know, why it's successful or what is successful. But nowadays, you know, with digital marketing, you can really go down into what is that cost of acquisition of new customers. Um, and so you could really measure some of these aspects and some of the data out there is not, is not right. And so really digging into the data, understanding if it's correct or not, I think is key, but getting a better understanding about where you're spending money and how efficient that is, is, is important. Um, but then I think outside of that, you know, on the retention piece, for example, you know, I think what's so important is to get customers back in, come back in. And that's, you know, well, 70, 80% of all of all the, you know, of uh, of, um, of of the revenue is getting those customers to come back and visit again. And looking at the the just a retail marketing calendar, it doesn't doesn't cost money to create a retail marketing calendar. It's pretty much free. Well, your marketing team have to do it for you, but understand that customer, understanding what they like. Uh, Pleasant Trees, for example, you know, is one of one of the best growers in Michigan. So, you know, we know our customers in our stores. As soon as we have a new strain that we launch, or a fresh strain that we haven't had for a while, we tell them and they have exclusivity in a loyalty club for one day to get that strain. That doesn't cost any more money, but it's getting people to come in uh, and do an extra visit. If you can get those customers to do one more visit a month or one more visit a week or to buy one extra product a week or a month when they come in, you know, that's going to increase the margin. So I think it's, yeah, you have to look at, you know, how within the budget you have, you can maximize that, but then within the retention piece and, you know, how you can be as creative as possible and understand that customer to, to you know, to, to increase revenue. So it's not all about the budget. Uh, budget does help. Um, but I think as Darren said, with the sort of the million or the, the trillion dollar marketing budget, um, you could probably spend it all. I, I would like to try, uh, but you could probably spend all the whole budget. But, you know, would it be more effective the more money you have? Uh, something's digging into it and being as, uh, you know, as, uh, uh, you know, understand the customer um, and giving them what they want as much as you can. Yeah, look, as you, as it gets more difficult, you constantly want to sit there and figure out where you're spending money that has the highest yield. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. And things that are leverageable and repeatable, like on the retail side, like things driven through loyalty and discounting and different things that come out through loyalty tend to create stickiness. Like I've generally seen that that can be north of 60% of somebody's revenue, just the loyalty customers that are a consistent base. Um, you can give away things through it. I think giving things away, I've walked into things where you, you're giving things away, but not getting anything in terms of retention for it. Um, you know, you want to stay away from the transient discount shopper. And like, when you think about different markets, like California had a higher affluence level than Michigan. So it was much less, it was much, it, it was much more quality centered or the perceived quality centered versus price centered, which I found the value and, and the price centered part of the Michigan market was a little bit different. And so you have to kind of make sure you know your market and what you're trying to address. And like, 
you know, at the end of the day, like there's a high frequency user and they have a price point. Like, are you serving that customer and that high frequency user? Because, you know, as a retailer, there's velocity and margin. I'm like, if you can turn a ton of velocity, you can do a, a, a slightly lower margin and still on a dollar basis do much better on an overall margin, a dollar basis margin. Um, the, the key is, you know, and it's where we started with, you have to have the right metrics to track, to measure, because if everybody just has an opinion about what they think and why they think it, and none of it is based on anything, which I've seen happen too, like it's just chaos. And then you can't, you're never actually going to figure out what the real answer is. And you, you really have to, when you think about overall teams, you have to really look at people that, you know, are receptive to using data and then people that aren't receptive to using data. And you also then have to realize like skill sets, like who's, who's in place here to understand how to use that data correctly. How much can you teach people in order to, to kind of go down that path and how much you can and kind of assessing that and making sure you have right people in right seats and domain experts that kind of understand these things. And frankly, across the organization, because you're going to have to coordinate with everybody. And you're going to have to get consensus building and buy-in for that. And so if you have if you have a team that won't kind of congeal around those things, it's really tough to be nimble, especially in an intelligent way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I mean, Darren, I mean, let's let's hear the dirt. I mean, what is your perspective on the value of marketing as a whole? You know, we want to hear the war stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, that you've come across in your in your career. Look. You know, having started in the business in 2018, I think I, you know, on a relative basis is a fairly early stage and seen a few markets mature. Like, you know, marketing is infinitely valuable, but making sure, given the fact that like a lot of times the money you've raised at a business is to build out a new dispensary or a manufacturing and distribution center or a whole bunch of things. Because the one thing it's this isn't a SaaS business. This is capital intensive. Like everything you do requires purchasing something, having hard fixed assets and spending money to have them. Like grow, you know, cultivation facilities fit right in that bucket 10 times over more so than all these other things. And so if you really want to get the right leverage on them and then we get the yeah. right revenue and margin out of, out of these facilities, you have to throw some, you have to throw some lighter fluid on the fire. And so the, the key is, is again, is just making sure you, you, like as a CFO, you start, you have some more stories about like, hey, like what's my, mar what's my, you know, what's the marginal yield on the price I should pay on a weed maps listing? And how do I calculate that out? Like, you know, I've seen, you know, I was in California where we didn't use it at all. And we had a, it, we, it never affected our business. I've had different locations where like, you know, we didn't decide to get a pin for our thing. And that clearly affected what was going to happen in the business. Um, so you have to, you have to kind of have some, you have to have a few battle scars to kind of know where the, where the right place to put the money is. Um, and again, you just, you need to be partnered with a CMO that understands the metrics because at the very least, it's just a basis for a dialogue. Nobody's like, you know, put it this way, you can wind up in the hall of fame in baseball with a 300 batting average, which means you got that, you got on base three out of 10 times. All right. And I kind of look at it as you're going to make some mistakes. So do you have a culture where people can take risk in a small way, fail and not get canned because they've take, they've stuck their neck out to take risk. Cause in a, in something where everybody's trying to figure it out because it's a really new business. It's an oddly, it's an interesting startup business with a huge install base of users, but you're still trying to figure out how to address those users. So you have to be able to take risk. You have to be able to do it in a measured way. You have to be able to measure what that risk is. You have to have a risk tolerance for it. You have to not shoot everybody as soon as they make a mistake, but you have to, but it's, it's really about kind of you're inching forward and you continually learn if for every place that you work, you end up coming in with, well, I already know that this is kind of the way this ends up working. Um, and then you can sort of avoid some of the initial mistakes, you know, you know, whatever the next venture is. Yeah. All right. Thank you both. Jim and Darren for you know sharing all this information with everyone. Can you can you like share? You know, where can people find you uh, if they'd like to reach out? Uh, you know, ask some questions or just connect with you in general. Sure, Darren, you want to go first? Sure, I'm on LinkedIn and I reply okay. to most messages there. Um, okay, you know that's a that's a really good place to start. And you know, if you if you try to connect with the message, I'm I'll, I'll 
you know, odds are I'm going to reply to you. So it's, it's a good way. It's a good way to do it. It's a good way to leverage the that system yeah. too. Okay. Sure. And I think just similar to Dynamo LinkedIn too, Jim Anstey, um, just search me and I should come up or, uh, and then I have my website, which is bklyinc.com. Uh, so bklyinc.com. That's uh, my website and there's contact buttons there. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I'm sure. I'm sure you and, and, and one thing I would say is, is uh, my name's tricky. Um, it's, it's G-A-C-I-C-I-A. Um, <laughs> How do you pronounce that? Kachicha, <laughs> and that's why, like, but, you know, I, I went to an all boy an all boys school in New Jersey. I got nicknamed by my hippie English teacher in seventh grade, and I've been Cheech ever since. So it's directly <laughs> derived out of that. It just so happens I wound up in Canada. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, once again, everyone, thank you for logging in today and joining us. This is the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast, sponsored by Media Gel. You know, we cover the marketing, latest marketing trends and strategies for growing your cannabis business. Uh, the next podcast will be airing live in a few weeks here. So just keep, uh, keep an eye out and we'll be talking about uh, Q4 holiday marketing tactics that can make cannabis cash registers sing. Uh, and that's going to be with Lisa Buffo with, from uh, Cannabis Marketing Association. So definitely tune in for that. Uh, everyone have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay safe out there and, and enjoy the holiday weekend. Thanks, Thank Cheers, Darren. Cheers. Cheers.